Hello, party people. I'm Ash, and this is Flicks and Scoops, where I'm combining my passion for film and love of ice cream. Each episode, I ask my guests to pick a film, and I make an ice cream inspired by the film, and then we sit around and chat about the film while we eat the ice cream. And if I didn't just say the words enough, then film and ice cream, just for good measure. Flicks and Scoops double bill coming at you. Part one now, and I'm with Angela Lee, the better half of the team that runs the open mic film night at the independent Wolf Kino in Norkiln. Angela's opted to discuss one car wise chunking express whilst we stuff our faces with ice cream. As per usual, here's your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Chunking Express and you want to watch it before listening to the podcast, then I'd highly recommend it. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again. Because if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. So now, I really hope you enjoy Flicks and Scoops, episode five. Please enjoy. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. All right, Flicks and Scoops. Today I'm here with Angela Lee, who's one of the hosts of the Open Mic Film Night at Berlin's Wolf Kino. Here's one for the cineasts, cinerasts, Sandinistas. She's chosen Chunking Express, first foreign film on Flicks and Scoops, so congratulations. And uh, yeah, without further ado, please welcome Angela Lee. Thank you. (laughs) Is this the first time you've done a podcast? I believe it is the first time that I've done a podcast. How are you feeling? I feel very happy. Happy because you get to talk about films and eat ice creams? In in that order, yes. <laughs> Even though I had I sampled the ice cream already and it was very delicious. So. Good. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. In fact, it was a good good time to choose Chunking Express because oh. just two days ago, um, they announced that One Car Wire is going to do a TV show. What? A TV series. Yeah. I only heard that he was doing a third movie for the... Uh, have you seen In the Mood for Love? Yeah. That yeah. there was going to be, in the, you know, 2046, which is a film that's supposed to be a sequel, that he's doing a third one. But I didn't know about this TV series. What? I'll, yeah, I'll send you the article, but I think oh, it's because cool. the 2046 production was put on hold. It's yeah, called I hated 2046. Blossoms Shanghai. And I don't know if he's going to do the whole thing or maybe if it's like a Scorsese uh, vinyl Boardwalk Empire thing okay. where he just does the first yeah, couple yeah. of episodes. But I think but that's, he's... That's really cool. Yeah. So I'm glad you I'd chose it. So for this film, it had to be pineapple. Oh, yeah. Had to be. It had, it had to be. Otherwise, it was fish and chips and you can't really make that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Heston Blumenthal just yeah. yet. <laughs> uh, so it was a caramelized pineapple ice cream. With homemade caramel sauce. Really? Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not actually that difficult. It's just melted butter and sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm glad you like it. For me, there wasn't enough pineapple. Yeah, you you said that to me when when you um, when we were talking about when I asked you what the ice cream was going to be, mm. and you said there wasn't enough pineapple. But I actually think that as a like a caramel influenced or like incorporated ice cream it was actually really good. Because I feel like, and it's just my personal opinion, but when there's too much caramel, like too much sugar and too much caramel in the ice cream, in like a caramel ice cream, it usually kind of destroys it. 
So I think the definitely the the pineapple is secondary to the caramel in this ice cream, but I think because of the pineapple and the chunks, very distinctive chunks that you can taste, <laughs> it it kind of offsets the the like saccharine nature of the caramel. So I think that was a, it was a good balance. Thanks. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. It was either that or syrup, but don't nobody want to drink no syrup in no, ice cream. The caramel. No, this I'm so surprised by this ice cream. I yeah, it was. <laughs> Beyond my imaginations. Really. Cool. <laughs> so we are recording this in the, it's kind of like the tail end of lockdown. Yes. The Rona lockdown now, uh-huh. I would say. How's it been for you? How's the old quarantine been going? Well, I, on on the topic of ice cream, I certainly haven't had that much ice cream this summer, which is normally not, I like it not, had never occurred to me that that might be a marker of how your summer was. But I just remember today when I was eating other ice creams <laughs> during the day that I, I really haven't had that much ice cream this summer. And maybe that's because of Corona. Because you've been inside right. more than outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. you're not sitting in the parks and buying a cone of like some fruity ice cream flavor. And yeah, which, which reminds me that actually I also eat a lot of ice cream in the winter, like at home. Not homemade, but that you buy in the freezer and you eat it. Was that something you did before you came to Berlin, given the huge ice cream culture here? Yeah, I think that's always been a thing. But when I lived in China, the ice cream, uh, <laughs> the, the selection of merchandise was not great. What is there's the big... just a lot of There's a lot of weird ice cream in China. Mm-hmm. And one of them, like, I, I don't even know if this, if this ice cream exists anymore, but it used to be that when I was a kid, we would get like to go to the shop, like the little like spetti by school, and you can get an ice cream or whatever other snack you wanted. And one of the really popular things, and I think this is because there were a lot of children nearby, is this ice cream called, uh, if you translate it, it's called green tongue. And it's, it's just, it's this like frozen jelly that is shaped like a tongue and it's green. But when you like, as you suck on it, as it melts a little bit, it becomes, it returns to its like original jelly form, and it kind Whoa. of curls like a tongue. And when you before, if you don't bite it, if you just like kind of suck on it and and make it melt a little bit, it just it feels like you have this like jelly tongue in your mouth, and it was bright green. And you can find a photo of this online. It's uh, yeah. What's the flavor? Like some kind of apple thing, like generic artificial flavor. It sounds crazy. Think of like the artificial flavor you think of when you have when you see like green, like bright green. It's it's that. Like uh, aftershock shots. Do you know those? No. There's really cheap uh, liquor. Right. M- maybe predominant in the UK. Okay. It's like a quid for a shot. Yeah. But it tastes like chemical apple. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. I think that's accurate. Unlike you, I think I've been eating too much ice cream. I'm sure you have <laughs> during lockdown. Yeah, mainly f- through doing this, I've mm-hmm. just been making. I've been a ice cream making machine, which is good because it hones my skills, and it's meant that I've been able to do this. But also, I have to walk a little bit extra to make sure that I don't put on the yeah yeah <laughs> the the chub. So, whereabouts are you from in China? I was born in Beijing, mm-hmm. and when I was about nine years old. I moved with my mom to a town kind of outside of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. 
And do you go back to China often? Yeah, I used to go back about every year um, until when I was 17 and my parents had moved back a year before. And then I joined them a year later and uh, lived there for about three years before I came to Berlin. Um, there, I didn't really see my parents that much, but it was really interesting to see to see a city that I kind of barely remembered through a completely different lens. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot has changed during that time as well. So it was interesting to be to be back there. And when you do go back, do you enjoy it? Does it feel like home still, or do you feel more connected to the American part of your life? Well, I used to, I used to enjoy it because it was kind of like a holiday. Uh, but then, I, since I moved back there, it wasn't. I don't know. My my time spent back there after I probably moved back was really different. I think it, it would have been really different to compare to say like if I just grew up there because I had different kinds of friends. Like I didn't really have any Chinese friends the whole three years that I lived there. Um, so I was friends with a lot of, with a lot of people who had made a choice to live there, like expats, for example, yeah, yeah. people who moved there. And it was interesting to explore, um, the, the city that way. And I think it made it more interesting as well, because I think it's inevitable that when you grow up in a place, you kind of hate it in a way because it's associated with a lot of things in your childhood, like having parents and being forced to do things you don't want to do and to see it as like a, to, to see where you live as a choice that you've made, I think really changes how you experience the place. Absolutely. And so it was, yeah, so it was great to be back there in that sense and to experience things that you don't get to experience as a child, like drinking on the streets and <laughs> like having, uh, having like noodles at three in the morning after a night out before you go home and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I guess culturally, it, it helped that I didn't grow up there because of the people that I was friends with. Um, but it was also definitely beneficial that I could speak the language, I can understand it. I can pass as someone who is entirely from there. Mm -hmm. Like no one would, like no Chinese person would be able to tell that I had like different experiences. Right, right. And that was also helpful from a practical stand standpoint of like call, being able to call like the janitor when something went wrong in my house, but also uh, to kind of, to be able to understand the perspective of the locals, like the people who live there and, mm, and yeah. the judgments they have about other countries and other kinds of people who have moved there and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Mm. And then, so you've been in Berlin for two years? Is for it three now? years now. Three years now. Yeah. And what was the catalyst for you coming here? I moved here because of school. Yeah, because actually, <laughs> the 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 full story is that I had uh, thought about leaving China a year before I actually moved, and my boyfriend at the time, who was from England, uh, had kind of like vetoed my decision to like the possibility of going to England because I had applied to a bunch of schools in England mm -hmm. because I didn't think I would be able to find any courses in Europe that are taught in English. So I applied to a bunch of places and then I got into some and then I told him and he was like, I never ever want to live in England and like until maybe when I'm like 45 or something, you know, yeah. like I just don't want to live there because, and I think that's kind of valid because if you're someone who's from that, I don't want to say that kind of place, but that place and you've gone to live in other parts of the world, it's just so much more exciting and interesting and you're used to having 
a more interesting lifestyle than growing, like just staying in your home country. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean I I'm think... sure you know that as well because you're <laughs> not there. Yeah. I think I would find it very difficult to go back home now, yeah. especially where I'm from. It's a tiny village in the north. There's really mm-hmm. not much going on. And it's like you said, it's, it's great to go back every once in a while. And I do enjoy going back in, mm-hmm. seeing friends, seeing family. But then, yeah, two weeks, it's you've had enough. I would yeah, find it. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. I've been to like Kettering about three or four times. And I've definitely had, I've seen I've, like literally everything in that place. <laughs> there's no more, there's nothing more to see. Yeah, right. And that's the Did thing. you do much uh, traveling in England while you were there? Um, I not really. It was just usually there to like visit family, and then we would stop by in London for a few days because there are friends who are there or who work there and mm. stuff like that. Um, but I haven't been to. It's kind of strange to think about. Yeah, I've I've been to England maybe four times, and I've only pretty much been to London and Isham, which is this village next to Kettering. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be nice to explore more of it, for sure. And so you're in Berlin studying. What was the story behind you getting involved with the short film night? I got involved around, I think the first time I did it was uh, November. uh, The most recent November, like this past November. Um, Because, well, my friend Maya had asked me to host it because she was going back to Sweden for a few months. Um... And that's that's when I started that yeah and because previously also I was trying to somehow get an internship there um, but it didn't work out but then they they had told me that okay maybe you can try to take over this event and and see how it goes and uh, I did it and yeah it turned out it turned out to be a really great experience yeah 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 it was a shame because uh, it was going pretty strong actually before Corona. For sure. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever made any films yourself? Uh, no, no. Would you like to? I would. Yeah, I would. I I think I would be more interested in like the, the writing, mm. part of it, because I write some things. Um, in my spare time. <laughs> uh, but but it's yeah, it's nothing has been like published or 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 you can't really find it. You would no, you can't find it anywhere. Um, unless you like hacked my computer or something, uh, but yeah, so I, w- I I I am interested in the in the stories. But you, but you've written film scripts, even short film scripts. Yeah, I've re- I've written one really small thing about uh like a. <laughs> it started off as an idea because I was just interested in this idea, and it wasn't meant to be like a film or or strictly a short story or anything. I just thought that okay, this is an idea. But really, the best way to explore it would be visually, maybe, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's about a man who who wears sunglasses, not for any practical reason, like uh, the sun or something like that. It's it's more about kind of documenting the effect that having sunglasses, like wearing sunglasses, has on someone. The idea that you you know that other people can't see you, like your, your expressions and your eyes and, and things like that. Um, and how, how your behavior, like how, how your behavior changes because of that, Mm. of having this barrier and, and, um, how you kind of maybe act differently because of it. It's interesting that, because for a period of time, 
my face was all mashed up. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I heard re- about this. Yeah, I had a really huge black eye, and I yeah. used to wear sunglasses indoors to cover the black eye, and it definitely changes the way people perceive you and you perceive others. I think probably because people think you're being a dick and trying to be all rock and roll wearing sunglasses inside when it's night time, but probably also because you can't see the eyes. So it's difficult to gauge emotion or how you're reacting to something. Yeah, for sure. Like when it comes to that, I I, I tend to think of the story, um, this bit from this book, The Curious Incident of the dog at nighttime, I think it's called. Yeah. It became it was it like was a hit. And uh it's basically it's 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 a book written from the perspective of this uh child who the audience can kind of or the reader decides is autistic. It it's never explicitly stated, but you can tell that he is on the spectrum somehow. And he 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 draws in this book some people. I can't remember in what context, but the pictures that he draws, there are people who have who don't have like faces, basically. Like they have a head, but there's no there's no eyes or expressions, basically. And he has to learn them through like cartoons or, or drawings of what expressions look like. And, yeah. and I think that yeah, that speaks a lot about I think what what your eyes communicate to people. Like when you're looking at someone, they think they're talking to you, and they they think that you're like processing information the same way as they are and that you're having an interaction and when you don't have that i don't know how how that changes things yeah going to jump into these questions now so first up are you a flicker or a scooper what is a flicker you're the second person to ask i think maybe i should reword it so flicks and scoops flicks being the like a slang term for films uh yeah i knew that but ah so scoopers but that's for ice cream right? yeah so do you prefer films or ice cream <laughs> In its most simplistic form. I have never been asked that question before. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I feel like that's like asking, like, do you prefer sex or love? <laughs> I don't know. Like, how could, how could I choose? It's, uh, that's a difficult question. You got me. But in terms of scoops, like, I, I like ice cream because it's, it's a dessert that's cold. And I like that. Like, I like things that are cold, um, like cold beer and cold drinks and, and things like that. So ice cream doesn't definitely has an appeal, but films also have an appeal that cannot be compared to ice cream. Yeah. Anyway. I think for me, the, the, <laughs> they, they complement each other. But personally, it's the film that takes precedent over the ice cream because the ice cream enhances the film watching experience. But without the film, would the ice cream eating be as good? Oh, so you're talking about these two. You're asking this con- this question in the context of like watching a movie. Yeah, like, do yeah. you want to? Oh, okay, I see. I thought you meant like if you're stuck on an island and you can only ever eat ice cream oh, or right. watch movies. I, I Maybe that would be a more choose. interesting way of phrasing it, actually, because yeah. I suppose it's a harder <laughs> question. Yeah. 
Well, maybe the second one would be a bit easier then. Do you prefer cups or cones? Cones. Cones? I've always been a cone person. Yeah? Yeah. Why is that? Because uh, because I like the cone a lot. Like, it's, I think it's one of the things that first drew me to ice cream in the first place. Like, as a child, the experience of holding the cone, I think, is really important. Because that's different from holding the stick of a popsicle. Mm-hmm. It's like you, and also you feel like you're, you're eating two things at once. Yeah. Like you're, you're having the ice cream and then you get this like texture, like the crunch. And I know waffle cones usually like are not that crunchy, uh, but, but you just, you get this different texture and you feel like you're having, I don't know, like a cookie with your ice cream, which is so, which is so cool, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And actually I'm so into cones that a few people have laughed at me for this, but when I buy a Cornetto, I don't actually like to eat the, you know, there's like a, a a chunk of ice cream that sticks out from the from the cone in a Cornetto. Yeah. And I usually just take a few bites of those because I want to get the hardened chocolate bits on top or whatever <laughs> like decoration they have on there, like the accessory. I love the accessory. I would like bite it off and, and then um, like chop off the top bit of the ice cream because I want to get to the cone. Really? Because that's yeah. Because that's why I'm having a Cornetto. If I just wanted ice cream, I would just <laughs> buy ice cream and do the cup thing. That's definitely the most original way I've ever heard anybody <laughs> eat a Cornetto. That's for sure. Do you yeah. like the uh, chocolate bit in the bottom of the? Oh yeah, thing? yes, <laughs> so so much. And you know what? Actually, I know that some like most of the time, if you're eating a Cornetto, by the time you get to the bottom, it, that that chocolate bit has melted a bit. But I actually like it when it's kind of frozen. Because it's a little bit crunchy. Yeah, I, goes, I, I will agree with, with that. It goes with the cone. Yeah. yeah, but I also think there's something really fun about um, about the chocolate melt, like melting onto your fingers. Because by that point, if it's melted, you can't really help the situation; it just kind of melts onto your hand. I and hate that's being nice. all sticky and stuff. Yeah, though. but that's like eating ice. It's like eating watermelon as a kid, or like <laughs> ice cream, where you're just, like things are just dripping. you're a fan of the mess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I like I like the ritual yeah. of it. <laughs> Um, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? What's your go-to flavor? Like, if you went to an ice cream store yeah. and you had to choose one scoop, mm-hmm. what would it be? So I think it depends on if I was that kind of person. It would depend on who I'm talking to because my actual favorite is mint chocolate. But I know mm. that this is often thought of as like super American and uh, kind of disgusting because because I don't know for some reason it's weird to have mint and chocolate together. And I think that ice cream is the only area where the two are have actually been put together as like a concept. Uh, but that, I really like that. But my other favorite, if I'm like more sophisticated, because I never had this when I was a child, um, is pistachio yeah. in like a gelato. Because gelato pistachio it's, oh, is a- it's so good. Good choice. Yeah. And um, just to come back to the mint chocolate chip, though, mm. as a counterpoint, mm. have you ever had after eights? No. They are very wafer thin, chocolate covered mint slices, maybe. Uh, but me and an old friend of mine used to absolutely tan boxes of after eights. So I'm a big fan of the mint chocolate chip ice cream. It can't be like, you know, the luminous green color mint chocolate chip. Mm. I'm not into that. It's more the. Just the hint of the mint and the chocolate chips, what it's all about for me. Yeah, yeah. But on the topic of that, like, um, after eight thing that you mentioned, I've also had this. Like, it's 
it's called something different because in America there's this thing called Girl Scout cookies, ah. and there is a version of that uh, called Thin Mints, which is essentially right. the same thing. It's like a thin layer of mint and then some chocolate. Maybe there's wa- maybe there's a tiny like film of wafer. I can't remember, uh, but the idea is is the same. It's like a little bit of mint. A little bit of chocolate. I've seen Girl Scout cookies referenced in a lot of films and TV, but never really knew what they were. I think I just assumed they were chocolate chip cookies. But do they have all sorts of different flavors? Oh, so, so the best Girl Scout cookie that I haven't been, I've never encountered uh, an equivalent of is uh, Samoas. Right, so Samoas that? are these like little circles with a hole in the middle that are kind of caramelly. I don't know what exactly goes in there, but it's coated in chocolate. And then there's this like caramel swirl and then some, I think they're like coconut shavings on top, but Mm. they're great. And they, as far as I know, only exist in the form of Girl Scout cookie. How does that whole thing even work? Do they buy them from a Girl Scout factory? Well, how it works is that the Girl Scouts do fundraisers. And they go around selling them and you get like these uh, mail order things at school where you can fill out what you want and you pay. And then the Girl, Scout, the Girl Scouts deliver it to your school and you get your cookies. And but you, the, you can't get them in the, I don't know if you can get them in the supermarket. But where do the Girl Scouts get them from? I think they have them made like in a special kind of like underground deal or something with like. <laughs> just have a monopoly yeah, on them. Yeah, 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 with like cookie <laughs> makers. Cookies. And they've, they've the, literally, like seriously, these are all trademarked like cookies. Shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when you go to cinema, is ice cream usually your snack of choice? Are you a snacker at the cinema? I'm not. I never. I usually never have a snack at this. I usually don't like drink or eat anything even hmm. because I'm 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 a lot more like chill about it now. But I used to hate it when I could hear people uh, eating in the cinema, like the crunch of a chip or the like slurp of of some drink. Uh, and I also kind of, I mean, now I'm, I, I, I've come to understand it, but I used to never understand, like, why are you, why do you need to eat something when you're watching something? Because that seems to go like in the form of like a package, but like, I just never understood that. And then later on, I understood it because I'm like, oh, I can have a beer and watch something like, duh, of course, that's nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really stack when I, when I go into a cinema to watch a movie. Similarly, I'm a purist like yourself. Oh, great. I hate loud snacks. Yeah, same. Uh, which is why I got so into ice cream while watching a film because it's the thing that you can eat that's silent. And because it melts, you have to eat it before the trailers are up anyway. Problem solved. That's great. That makes so much sense. Yeah, because, you know, another thing is like when I'm watching uh, films at home on the TV or on the computer or something, if I'm eating chips, then I have to pause it or make the volume louder because I can't hear it because I can I can like hear the sound of me like chewing the chips. Yeah. And then I like don't sometimes miss stuff because because I like my jaw is like so close to my ear <laughs> that I can hear it. And you go to the cinema often? I, I really haven't uh, here or in Beijing because the selection of films there in the cinema was so trash. And part of the reason is that there's a quota on um, or a cap on on how how many foreign films um, are allowed to be imported and right. shown on the, on a screen yeah, yeah, yeah. in China. And so and because of that, most of them are like Transformers 
10 or like so do they choose it like just that. on ones that are going to make the most money yeah the most box yeah, office yeah, right. yeah 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 like they have these deals and I, I i mean i don't know anything about the distribution um policies but i think they they would choose the ones that would make the most money because they're only allowed to bring 10 to 20 films a year mm. that are not made or fi- financed locally um, but here I also, I've been a few times, but not, not so much actually, because I don't know, I, I feel like really dirty saying this, but I've, because of that experience in China where like there were barely any opportunities to go to a cinema and see a movie that I actually want to see, um, I've, I've become this like torrenter. So, and, and I think once you discover Pirate Bay, it's like oh, hard no. to, it's hard to go <laughs> back. Yeah. Like, of course I'd love to see something that I actually want to see on the screen if it's being released because there is something really special about uh, going going to a cinema with someone or by yourself and seeing it on a screen with very limited distractions. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's hard to achieve at home. Even if you're someone who loves watching movies, like if, you, if your phone vibrates or something, you're like, oh shit, I gotta talk to my pause. But like, no, that's not how you're supposed to watch a yeah, movie. Yeah. You can't pause it. That's exactly and why the, I love going to the cinema because yeah. you just eliminate all distractions, just you in a dark room. Yeah. Do, you, do you go with other people or do you prefer just going solo? I like going with other people. Yeah, but I like, also, yeah. I like the discussion afterwards, mm-hmm. but it depends who you go with. Sometimes if you go with a question asker. <laughs> oh, I fucking hate that because it even, but I think this tends to happen not so much in the cinema based on my personal experience, but like at home or at someone's house when you're watching a movie and they just always want to talk to you or say something or be like, oh, ho, ho, isn't it? And I'm like, no, shut the fuck up. Yeah. I don't I don't like, what? It's just, yeah, it's. I find that kind of annoying. Yeah, cinema is one of the main things that I've missed during the quarantine. Uh, but luckily here, they've started opening the summer, the open air kinos again. I love, I love that idea. And actually, Berlin was the first place where I actually got to experience it. And uh, I think it was last summer or two summers ago, I watched uh, Apocalypse Now in an open air. And it was the, not the director's cut or the original, but this like extended version, which is not the longest. Redux, the, is, it? is it? Yeah, is it with one? the one that came out quite recently. I think maybe Redux. Yeah. Where basically they, they kept the scene with the French family. Oh yeah, the colonial, uh, colonial, yeah, colonial family, yeah. but it's not as long as the like full cut, the director's cut or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was great because I was sitting in Hasenheide and for like three and a half hours, I don't know, and like the wind was blowing, and uh, you hear like the, the 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 wind blowing through the trees, and you feel like you're there, kind of. It's a nice point actually, because I went to Hasenheide when they opened again to see. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And a lot of that is by the sea. There's quite a few scenes by the sea. And with the wind, it made it all quite atmospheric. It's great. Like you feel like, because there was, I remember one on the scene on the beach when there were the, you know, the helicopters were coming and I felt the wind and I was like, fuck, I can like hear the helicopters. It was the, great. This is Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse, not, yeah, seeing <laughs> Apocalypse Now. Lady on fire. Seeing Apocalypse Now at Hasenheide with the wind when it's nighttime and you can look up at the sky and it's not completely black. It's like kind of blue and it's just, it's a great experience. Yeah. No, I, and I love I think it. certain films really fit 
that atmosphere. Mm, definitely. Yeah. The, I think the one issue that I do have with the cinema scene here, which is actually why I quite like Wolf Kino, is because the program selection tends to be really crap. I don't know what it is, but they seem to get films way later than anywhere oh, yeah. else. Like mm. I could see a film two months previous and then it just be released at cinemas here. It's, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating. So why did you choose Chunking Express? Well, I I don't know because when 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 Jonathan told me about this project, I thought I was like really excited and then I thought wow, there are like so many things, like so many different films I can talk about. Um and all of them would be really interesting. Um but I suppose because I knew that it would be an ongoing project of yours and you would have uh, a lot of opportunities to talk to different people about different movies that I, I guess I wanted to do something that was more, that maybe wouldn't get a chance otherwise. Because my original idea was, well, like I was kind of uh, torn between this one or like uh, one of the film noir movies that I really like because I really like those. Um and that would have also been an interesting conversation. And also, I'm I'm very curious about what ice cream you would have come up for one of these film noir movies because they're not so like food focused, you know, just mostly booze and cigarettes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been fun. But I guess I chose this one because I had, at some point in my life, decided to watch more Chinese movies. And this is not exactly Chinese; it's it's from Hong Kong. Um, but I decided to watch more films that are, uh, from Hong Kong or China and it's been really interesting because they're, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, because they're so, they felt to me like so different, like familiar in a way because I can understand the language. I mean, I don't in this movie because it's Cantonese. Um, but yeah, they, they should feel more familiar to me, but they don't in a way. And I found that really interesting personally to watch. And I think this one is, is I thought this would be a good one to talk about because it's not so, it's it's not so focused on the, the history of the place uh, or the period. It that That's more of a setting. And of course that influences a lot of like the visuals and because very, it's a very like metropolitan film. Um, but, but that, it, it has a theme that's like relatively lighthearted, which is like love and breakup and, and anyone can talk about that. So I thought it would be interesting. And it's also kind of funny and has like great music. Well, I'm glad you chose it because uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's the first foreign film that we've had on the podcast. And it's actually one of the early foreign films that I watched. Oh, Because right. uh, the first time I heard about this was from a Pulp Fiction VHS tape there was like a special edition mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction VHS where Tarantino at the start gives some sort of intro to Chunking Express uh, 
yeah, it must have been on the Pulp Fiction. Video. I've heard about this, yeah. Because he started I've his heard own. Of him talking about this movie. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he he started his own production company or distribution company or something. With Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. After Pulp Fiction came out, and mm-hmm. this was one of the first uh, releases that he he put on there for the American uh-huh. market. Um, and then yeah, on the Pulp Fiction VHS, it must have been like a trailer or something like that. Mm-hmm. He uh, he spoke about it. So that's how how I heard about it. Um. Do you remember the first time you saw Chunking Express? Was it a particularly memorable occasion? Um, yeah, I do. It was, I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was, yeah, like I said, around the period when I decided to watch more um, Chinese movies. And I think it's not surprising that this was one of the first ones because the director, Wong Kar Wai, is one of the most like internationally known and also acclaimed directors. Uh, from, I guess, in the post, like, Kung Fu period, in, in I guess, in conjunction with, like, a new wavy or, like, postmodern whatever thing that was going on. And uh, so so I started with him and watching a lot of the movies, like, In the Mood for Love, which is probably more famous than this one and some of his other ones as well. Because th- I think the situation was that at, in that, at that time, like, the 80s and 90s, Hong Kong was like by definition more international than China was because we only opened up like 1989 and culturally as well Hong Kong was just a lot more open and and advanced and had a lot more opportunities to to make things that would that would eventually uh enter this like international arena and people would watch it uh who are not who are not from Asia or were even yeah um, so that was, yeah, that was how I, why I first started watching it. But I, yeah, I, I watched it, I think when I was in China, uh, after I moved back to Beijing and at first I, I mean, it, it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing because it's not a movie where you watch it and you're like, oh, I really like the story because the story, there, there isn't really a story as such. It's just more of a. An experience like you, you, you see, you see the images and you see the visuals and you hear the music and you see the people in the movie and their body language and everything. Um, and there's no, it's not a traditional narrative in the sense that you, that that there's a point or that there is something that you should take away from it. It's just like kind of people going about their lives and it's confusing in a way that I've since realized is very real. Like, yeah, sometimes there's not a point. It's just something happens. And this is the effect that it has on people. And you end up talking to like stuffed animals. And that's just how, <laughs> just, yeah, that's just how it happens. So that, yeah, that was the first time I watched it, I think it was a little bit confusing, but I didn't really like try very hard to understand it because I was satisfied by just watching it. Yeah. Um, but the second time I watched it, it was definitely different because I watched it with my friend. And afterwards she said, uh, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure like I what happened and I'm kind of confused and I thought yeah like maybe that's how it should be it's kind you know? of the like, point. Yeah, right yeah. like I'm not gonna ex- pretend I know what happened and then explain like oh no but you're this is what happened because I I think that's that's not really the point yeah and what it lacks in story I mean like you mentioned it's fairly light on story 
it more than compensates for with things like visual stylistics, editing choices that help it become more something that you experience rather than just a film with a linear narrative. And I think this whole idea about repetition and experiences looping and feeling lost in situations in life that become less clear the further you get into them and particularly love and it manages to encapsulate that feeling really well right and and i think at some point like people who who do film have realized that you know you 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 have to use the the very like nature of of this medium uh with some purpose that it's not just like okay well i write a story and then immediately that gets like on on paper with words and then immediately that's that gets transferred to to images because sometimes i think the the way that something is shot or like the way that something is conveyed visually you can't do with words and and vice versa well it's this whole idea of show don't tell you know use the medium to get your point across rather than being over explanatory with something like dialogue yeah and I mean, the film was made in four months, I think it was. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Well, I had a very elementary <laughs> IMDb search. Or, uh, <laughs> um, As but, you should. Yeah, he um, he was shoot editing. Sorry, the film that he did before, uh, something in Ashes, is it? Oh, uh, Ashes of Time, I think. Yeah, that yeah. one. And he was getting too caught up in it and couldn't think of anything else, so he needed mm. he needed a bit of respite from that project. So. Yeah, sort of quick and dirty. Got a got a team together, shot this really short space of time, and was a writing scenes the day of the shooting, which probably makes it feel more human in a way. Because okay, ideas may not be fully fleshed out. I mean, I'm saying that he's done an incredible job, but I mean, in the script writing process, maybe he would have tried to explore something in more depth. Maybe he would have refined something. Yeah, I don't know. But ultimately, the overthinking of something removes that human element. Like in life, we don't usually have that much time to think about the shit that we're saying or doing, which sort of folds in nicely to that fast-paced nature of the film and city life and specifically um, Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Have you been? Yeah, I was there uh, last... Oh, was it two years ago? Two summers ago. So two years ago that summer. Um, and I mean, I had been to Hong Kong as a child, but like as you do, like when you travel as a child, you don't remember fucking anything. Yeah. Um, and it's generally a waste of money. But yeah, I was there. I was there two years ago, and it's great. It's it's really such a like a visually stimulating and distinctive place that is unlike any place that I've been to. Um, visually, but also in terms of the of the of the culture, not even on this like deep level. It's just when you walk down the street and you experience things, especially as a Chinese person, like because of the the history of Hong Kong, there's a lot of uh, I don't know intern internationalization or colonialization or, or Britishization, I don't know, like, but, you know, the roads are, are, the signs, like, there's, there's English above, 
above the Chinese, and and it's actually an an English name. It's not transliterated, and even the older generation speaks English because of 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 the occupation and stuff, and it's and the food they have there, and just the way. I don't know. I think it's a really interesting place. I don't know. I I don't feel super qualified to talk about Hong Kong in a in a political context. But but it's as a as a person who is who grew up in mainland China and who has parents who grew up in mainland China during a very like tumultuous time in Chinese history. It's very as a child even it was very strange to think of Hong Kong because I never ever thought of Hong Kong as China and it isn't. But at that time, I mean, it won't be for for much longer, I guess. But it was um, this autonomous district. You know, we had this thing called one country, two systems, and that is referring to Hong Kong. That yeah, we are technically one country, but we have different politics and different cultures and different ways of being because they were with with a Western country for yeah, so long. Yeah, yeah. And but just as a child, like the cultural differences, like I just always thought of Hong Kong as this like super super open place where. Where people could say what they wanted to, and uh, and then when I was older, realizing that yeah, like they can they can make the kind of music they wanted to. They can be political. They can have they make movies that that Western people watch, and that was super cool. Um, which is kind of sad that now this is happening with Hong Kong. That you know, like that's not going to be the case for much longer. Yeah, and that whole mesh of different cultures is referenced no end in Chunking Express. I mean, you see all sorts of different pop culture references littered about. Has it influenced your life at all, this film, would you say? Um, ooh, I don't know if I would say that about any film I've seen. Hmm. <laughs> mm, I think as with any anything like music or, or literature or film, it, it it's hard to pinpoint exactly how it's influenced you and therefore it's hard to say whether it has influenced you at all because I think so much of it happens unconsciously but I think that there is so much comfort in knowing that however you feel and and you know when you watch a movie and you feel something and you think that this movie gets you that they understand um this the experience of of being in a breakup of of someone just leaving you because they've discovered other people or something. When you when you when you see a film like that, you're like, wow, they get me. And there, I think there's like tremendous comfort in in that fact that like someone gets it, but they can also represent it in a way that is so cool and so like right and so accurate. Um, so I think in that sense, yeah, it has. Not that you know, oh, because of that, I I, I don't know, like I become like an air hostess or something but but in the sense of like feeling like you that there is something in this world that someone went through a lot of effort to make that is about essentially about an experience that you've also had i think it makes you feel really like comforted yeah and like understood by someone who doesn't even know you i think that's a great thing about like i don't know music or or, or movies or whatever it's just you, you feel that in the short term it influenced me because... What you made this ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a difference a day made hasn't been off my stereo since. Oh, my God, <laughs> You know, God, you, you I know. just get something stuck in your head. 24 hours. Okay. <laughs> um, so would you say that you relate to any characters in particular or do you see elements of yourself in 
different characters. Yeah, I think... I don't know. This is a really interesting question because I feel like with a lot of... Well, not a lot of, but maybe two. This one, In the Mood for Love. I feel like I identify more with the with the male characters than the female characters. I mean, this film a bit different. I think there's a bit of both. Um, yeah, I... No, I, I think I, under, I I identify with... Maybe with the second story more, like both of these people, like the girl and the guy. Um, because in the second story, with 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 the with the second cop, that he you know uh, was was basically dumped by his girlfriend because he like altruistically or out of love for her introduced to her the the concept of choice. So like you you know that scene where he's like going to the cafe and he's asking like oh I want he's he's telling the owner like I want to get like fish and chips and then the owner says uh, okay but why don't you also try like chef salad maybe she'll like that like give her a choice just get both of them and then she can choose and he does that and then the next time he comes and he says oh I want this thing because she chose that but maybe I and then the owner's like well maybe you can offer her a different choice and he does that and then she begins to realize that okay well I have a choice I don't have to be with you there's other things out there yeah. And because of that, and I think that is, I mean, for me, like, it's something you do out of love to someone, you know. You think, oh, you should explore a little bit and and have have options and because that would maybe make you happy. And then they actually don't, they actually do that, but they don't choose you and then you're alone. So, I think, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely, like, understand that. Um, but also with her, the girl in the second story where she's, like, going to to his house like behind his back and cleaning the apartment and making I don't know uh making it clean and, and adding new things and slowly like packing away the 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 memories of the, the the previous girlfriend and helping him move on and stuff I think I definitely understand that as well because it's like when you meet someone who's a little bit damaged and you think oh I can help you and I want to help you move on and and whatnot uh, so I understand that part as well. Just linking into you identifying with the cops, because I think it plays a lot with subverting gender stereotypes. And I wondered if you think the way it subverts those gender stereotypes enforces the idea that both are equal, or does it do more to highlight the irrelevance of, I'd go so far as to say a personality, uh, especially in the case of Faye, who ends up pretty much forgetting her previous life and personality and becoming an air hostess and just how much are people willing to compromise for a way of love? How, how do you mean that it's subverse gender? Because that... Subverting, like playing with or um, overturning traditional gender stereotypes. Like it's a female who's the gunslinging bad bitch in the gangster underworld which is something that's more traditionally portrayed by a male character. And it's the policemen who are more melancholic and getting emotional over girls, which again, it's more traditionally associated with female parts. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. So that the guys are actually portrayed as being really heartbroken. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, that hadn't occurred to me that, that, 
the the idea of like turning the gender stereotypes on their head but but I do really like that it portrays it portrays the cops or that the 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 cops are characters who are really struggling not in the sense of trying to save their women but trying to save themselves or trying to you know get over the hurt that has been done onto them by the women in their lives um I don't know that 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 hasn't really occurred to me but but I really really like the way that the heartbreak for these guys are represented um for example like in the first story with the with the pineapple thing and the the idea that all all of these perishable perishable things ultimately expire um which is such a like it seems really silly when you see it and i think that's part of the point it's like oh this guy's like just eating pineapples like what uh but then but then you also realize that like it's it's so scary that it's so scary like this metaphor of food perishing as, as an analogy to to what happens in 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 a in a relationship you know that that it ultimately ends but what's so scary about it is that uh in terms of food like you can actually enumerate how long something is going to last whereas in a relationship you don't know that like you might have an inkling but you can't say okay in 365 days it will be over and stuff like that and and i think him trying to to put like a time stamp on on the thing is it was yeah it was really like hard hitting for me that there is a limited amount of time that you have also in your own life that you can't wait forever for this that you know your life will also end one day so you can't like because you're also a can of of something of you that will end and you you can't wait around forever for this person i don't know if my take on it is quite so pessimistic i sort of saw it more as playing into the cyclical nature of stuff like these pineapples are going to go off but there'll be a new batch coming in just wait until they arrive and i don't know if it's more of a a lion king style circle of life or just like repetitious essence of going in and out of relationships yeah but but saying that i do think more about the perishable side of things as i get older and i guess could be the case with the police they seem like a similar age late 20s early 30s and i suppose for a lot of people it's the point in life where you start settling down having families and if you're not in that situation and all your peers around you and your friends are getting into those sorts of situations then you can easily start dwelling on this sort of shit do you have a preference over the storylines mm i think definitely the second story for me yeah, yeah. because I I like the first one and I think it's they they make a really good combination. But I guess for the first one I don't specifically ever fit into this like a falling for a femme fatale kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um so but the, yeah, the second one really was 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 my favorite because I think I I can understand it from both sides from from Faye but also from the cop, you know, that from the cop's perspective like how just how difficult it is to 
to really move on from something. Even though you realize that you're not doing very well by like dwelling in the state and you're, you, you, you recognize very clearly by talking to the stuffed animals that like, you're not doing well, you, your apartment is a mess uh, and all of these things. And also the kind of really heartbreaking thing of like, introducing someone to choice and letting them go because maybe that is better for them and you respect that person, but then you're left really heartbroken. It's like, okay, well, how do you choose between that? Like, do you, do you want them to be happy or do you want yourself to be happy? And what, where does love fit into that? Like when you love someone, do you want them to just to be happy and have their life without you? Or like, do you want to, you try to give them what they want and, and, and whatever. That's one of the things that I found funny about this, though, is mm. that uh, the characters start off with such obsessions mm-hmm. and they become yeah. so obsessed with those obsessions that they almost lose sight of what they were obsessed about in the first place. Oh, for sure. Um, for me, I preferred the first story, even though I think there was probably more that I related to in the second. Um, even minor things like Faye dancing to Mamas and Papas. Oh, I love that <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah. How can it ever leave your mind? Um, I mean, I love a good solo dance to music in films. There's a really good one at the end of Beautreville. Beautreville? To this day, my French remains terrible. I'd be interested to hear why you, uh, why you like the first story a lot. Um... I guess I've got fond memories of the first time watching it. Like when films are technically adept and it was the first time I'd seen the step print effect, you know, where the image sort of looks slow and fast at the same time. I tried it actually when I was filming the ice cream recipe, but my camera wasn't good enough. Stop me if this gets too boring. But um, films normally filmed at 24 frames a second. And the shutter speed is about double that, so usually 50. But for the step print, you basically shoot at a really low frame rate, like three or four, and then overcrank the shutter speed to maybe 24, 25. And then you duplicate the frame, so maybe there's three of the same frame. But my camera doesn't shoot that lower frame rate, sadly. Uh, yeah, anyway. Getting back to answering your question, I think uh, basically just the storyline. The second one's less believable. And I'm a sucker for storylines about like drugs and the criminal underworld and schemes and that kind of thing. And plus, I reckon the second one is probably a tad bittersweet for me. I think because I saw traits of myself in the second cop. Like, I was in a relationship in my early 20s that ended essentially just through me being ignorant of how good a situation I was in, which is, you know, the folly of youth, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the second story is like, uh, I don't know, a bit a bit of an insult to realism, where it's like, well, someone's been going into, apart- into your apartment for I don't know how many times and you don't notice. <laughs> like, that would never happen. But of course, it's, you know... Why did you a, not kick off about it as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I liked that. I like the extreme effort of doing that for someone because... Are you a bit of a hopeless romantic? 
I think when I watch these movies a little bit, yeah, because a part of me, don't get me wrong, like when I watch this, a part of me is like, Faye, that is super illegal. You don't do that. Like, that's not right. You should respect them. Oh, you know, all of the, like, I don't know, romantically, you would say these are like the constructions of realism. You shouldn't do that. But at the same time, I understand the the intention and the and the motive and the the feeling mm. of uh, of wanting to do that for someone and not wanting them to know. But you want them to know. That's the thing. It's like, I think that's the that's the nuance of it that I love, which is that you do something for someone and you don't want them to know, but you do. And that was part of my, the, the, the thing about the my sunglasses script thing that I told you about is that like, in that story that I wrote, it's like you put on sun, it's like this guy puts on sunglasses because he doesn't want to be noticed, but he does. Like he wants someone to call him out on on the fact that he is wearing sunglasses. Even though he's trying to hide himself. But you can't hide yourself if you're the person who wears sunglasses indoors. Like someone's going to be like, what? Why? What are you doing? You <laughs> fucking weirdo. Like, and, and that's part of it. You know, it's like you want some, you want the person to, to be like, hey, I see you. But at the same time, you don't. And yeah, like, I don't know how to explain it really. Um, but, but, but I, but I like, I like that story for that reason is I think she of course like you go through all of these efforts and you want someone to notice but you also don't because you're shy or or you want to protect them or something um but ultimately you do want someone to notice and yeah I think (laughs) that's like the little fucked up part about it that I like got you just one last thing that I wanted to touch upon was this sort of visual incoherence. Because you have the step printing to hype up the fast-paced atmosphere of the city. You've got these restrictive camera angles to make you feel boxed in. And all these things are done to make you feel disorientated and lack direction. But then that claustrophobic framing and all this exterior noise almost gives more direction to the story because that's what you focus your attention on. And then even with the framing, where everything's kind of vignetted by objects or shelves or door frames, gives it more orientation. Would you would you agree with that? Or do you think I'm just talking shy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. And I think that that worked massively in the favor of this film because of how claustrophobic the apartments in in Hong Kong can feel. Like when she's going to clean his apart to uh, clean the second cop's apartment in the in the second story, like that apartment is so claustrophobic and it's so messy. And usually, when the camera is just following the person, whoever's in there doing something, you you really feel very claustrophobic because it's so small. But it it like contains so much of the history of that person, even just in like a tiny tiny place. And many times, it feels almost like. Uh, kind of like overstuffed you know with with things and in that shop in the first story when there are like so many pineapple cans and and there's a dog in the background you're just like ah like this there's not enough space in your house for you to get over this breakup because you have so much shit in this house Mm. that is related to that (laughs) and i think it's the same in the in the second story that yeah the the way it's shot i mean there are like very few locations um, in the movie, and they are they're all somehow kind of connected, 
you know, there's like the actual like Chongqing Mansions, which is this giant building in Hong Kong where uh, multiple floors, where there's lots of hostels, lots of immigrants, like Indians and uh, drug dealers and whatnot. And then there are the like the the two cops' apartments, and then there's that cafe where a lot of the the dialogue happens. And then like this market where they where the second cop like eats lunch, and then Faye runs into him and stuff. And all of it is very busy. Like it's you never, yeah, you never feel like, okay, you you are really, you have a any quiet times to process these things. It's just like going on and on. And I think, yeah, that's that's a that's definitely a quality that the the place brings uh, to the film. 5scoops it's a scoop system not a star system so usually in film magazines or film reviews people rate the films out of five stars mm-hmm. but on flicks and scoops we like to rate the film out of five scoops um it's basically the same but with scoops <laughs> instead of stars uh, so angela lee would give chunking express four four and a half scoops i would say you're not even the first person that's used a, a, a half or a different I know, denomination. It's so, it's so it's so cowardly. Yeah, I'm it afraid really I'm going to have to push you on a. I only accept okay, four, four scoops. Four, four. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with a four. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't think it's. Oh, it's nice to hear. It's no, no. It's, it's really good. I don't think it's a five scoop film. No. But it's a, it's a solid four scooper. That's what is it? What is? Tell me one of your five scoops. The, well, most of the films that I've done before, <laughs> actually. So the first I have been five scoops. Mm. What? Yeah, the first one was. God, I don't trust that because how many five scoops do you have? Well, there's a lot of five. I mean, scoop if you give me like think. twenty movies, five scoops, then I don't know if I trust. Twenty your is scoop the limit. <laughs> twenty is the limit. You would say. What? Like to how, how many, many films, films I can you can give, give five, five scoops? I mean, no, there's no limit, but but I would think that it's a little bit indiscriminate if every film that you've done on this podcast has been five scoops. All right, well, let me give you the five scoops, and then we'll because see. you don't choose the movies, right? They do. Uh, yeah, right. It's an issue that's been raised before. If people are choosing a film that they want to talk about, yeah, and you hate it. No, no, but they're probably gonna really like the film mm-hmm. to want to talk about it. Uh, so the first one was Doctor Strange Love. Oh. It's a five scooper, surely. <laughs> yeah. Th- then we had the- I accept. Then we had the good, the bad, and the ugly. Also, I accept. Okay. Then it was Big Lebowski. That's not a five scoop. That's not a five scoop. That's sc- not a five scoop. Uh, Angela, Come on. We're gonna, Big right. Lebowski. What ice cream did you make for that? White Coffee Russian. and vodka. White Russian. Yeah, of course. White Russian uh, ice cream. <laughs> and this is it. I'm done. I'm done. We're out. Um what was the last one? Oh, eight mile. 
That wasn't a five scoop. Obviously. <laughs> what did you make the ice cream? That out was of? Um, that was white cigarettes and hi- heroin. <laughs> white chocolate and ginger. Well, listen to the podcast, then you'll bloody well find out. My that. God, um, she was Angela Lee. This was Chunking Express. I was Ash. Thanks. Good night, Thank you. everybody. Bye. Good night. What a fun time was had by all. Pop into flicksandscoops.com for all my ice cream recipes and anything to do with film. Please give Flicks and Scoops a follow on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're not already aware, there's a Flicks and Scoops YouTube channel where I've uploaded all the recipe videos that I made in the style of the films that they're inspired by. You may as well subscribe to that as well. Next time is part two of the open mic film night double bill. I'm having a natter with my mate Harty about Blade Runner. If you're in Berlin, and specifically the North Köln area, swing by Wolf Kino because they create a decent programme of films. And they've even got a nice bar if there's nothing on that you fancy. Keep independent cinema alive. Right, I'll shut up now. See you next time on the Flicks and Scoops podcast. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.